This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. You're a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and I am back from filming the Green Berets. I did find it amusing... Whenever, whenever I mentioned you were gone doing that, or you mentioned I was gone doing that, people are like, "Oh, are, are they really filming a film with it?" It's like, it's like, no, guys, it's an in joke. Star Trek, George Takei, Walter Koenig, Green Beret, season two. It's good stuff. A little inside baseball there, but it's a Star Trek podcast, so <laughs> that's what we do. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be back, uh, and I'm not the only one who's back. We have Ape Face himself, Nick Anastasio, has joined us. What's up, Nick? That's right. The Ape Face is here. <laughs> <laughs> now nick is one of our uh, associate producers and he had a great idea for uh an episode discussion this week and that's what we're going to talk about nick why don't you tell us about your, your concept for our discussion this week on standard orbit well as i'm sure everyone who listens to the show knows last week the trailer for discovery star trek discovery dropped and the fan response is overwhelmingly actually very positive um but positive or negative of course as we know you know we're we're, we're fans we like to nitpick and within minutes of the the, uh, the trailer dropping, the the Star Trek internets started to explode with comments about continuity, continuity. This sometimes they were just questions. Sometimes they were going into the details. I was telling Ken um, off mic that I I um, read a comment from a fan uh, who was complaining that the height of the hallways was clearly not accurate and way way too high compared to what they what they were in the prime timeline right to be in the prime timeline and so when i when, it's when i read that specific i know i'm right? sorry i was holding it in i'm sorry it was 7.4 meteors this they're gonna come find you the they're gonna print. come find you every time you do that voice i said you're, you're on the list buddy. listen listen guys <laughs> I, I, I wrote an algorithm that allows us to calculate the proper height uh optimum height and that was not expected um so you know and and so it got me thinking it's, it's actually when i read that comment it got me thinking i mean the thing is and we all know we all know you know brendan shamatala has has mentioned it plenty of times on the on the network before um, that Star Trek and continuity will get along and don't get along. <laughs> Star Trek, it's it's one of Star Trek's proprietary <laughs> traits to always kind of put story and character development first and deal with whatever that does to the continuity. Um, sometimes the show's producers or writers will retcon things after the fact. Sometimes they don't. 
Uh, sometimes the fans, because we love Star Trek so much, we, we take it upon ourselves to find explanations, which eventually, you know, Denise and Michael Rakuda will kind of work into this hmm. encyclopedia to make it official. And this is all great. This actually, it, I think it is a cool thing. And it's, it's true that continuity is, is broken, but it's a, it's a cool thing to exchange among fans as a joke. It's, it's, I think, one of the great things about Star Trek that we can all laugh about um, lovingly because we love Star Trek. And I'm sure that Discovery will bring its own addition to the canon of continuity, question marks, and so on. But I think that it should be something that we can joke about and we can point out without getting really intense and, and necessarily um, agitated about. So then that's, that's, that's the idea that I brought up to you guys. What if we kind of look at the other Star Trek series that takes place in the same era as Discovery, TOS, the first... No, but Discovery is before Kirk and Spock. Nick, didn't you see the trailers before Kirk and Spock? It's it's pre it's pre TOS TOS. It's it's uh, pre pre OS pre OS pre OS. I love it. I love there it. you go. You just oh, oh trademark patented Nick Anastasio Done. right there. Boom. Everybody. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. Pre OS. I love it. Yeah, um, I like it too. Because TOS, I I don't know if they broke continuity more than any other series and movie, but because it is the original series, I think it's, it's the most fun to point out how Star Trek, which we take so seriously, well, at the root was already was birthed into continuity problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. To that point, I feel like discovery in itself, just the choice of the timeline is birthing itself into a continuity problem. Uh, much like enterprise, they're, they're kind of asking for it from the, from some of the fans when they, when they choose to be in these time periods, you know, because they, they just keep boxing themselves in further and further and further. like enterprise was, you know, a hundred years before Kirk, Sarah. So that's like, you got time to wiggle, you got wiggle room, but this is a contem- discovery is contemporary with the cage era. So that is, that is asking for it on their end. And, you know, Hey, we have an open mind with this stuff. Young minds, fresh ideas. Let's be tolerant. But, uh. It's it's gonna be fun to see the the internet's reaction to Star Trek. I mean, we've already seen it, but but as the episodes come out, like I, I you know, we like to have a good time and laugh about this stuff, and, and that's what we're gonna do here today in this week's episode. But uh, I I just I just nothing, nothing's more fun than reading comments from from like what you were talking about about the 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 hallway height. Like, yeah. come on, man, would you, would you get a life, will ya? Have Have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, all right Zach don't don't alienate anybody but, uh... <laughs> you know that, that yeah that that fan is listening right now with a tear coming down his eye oh yeah yeah he's got a he's got a Zach Moore voodoo doll you know in <laughs> a little Star Trek uniform and he's gonna poke the heck out of it but I I will say I don't even remember seeing the ceiling of the hallways on the Enterprise or if we did it was pretty rare you know but anyway yeah I but, don't know and in, in fact I mean there might have been some sets that had it for some shots or angles, but I would imagine, especially at the time, a lot of a lot of indoor sets were built uh, without ceilings, mm-hmm. so that the camera could could be more free to maneuver, and and the directors would often stage their shots to not be too much at a at an up angle, so that you wouldn't reveal the fact that there was nothing walls absolutely because every every tv and movie set you see there is a bank of lights up there like it is it is insane how many lights if you've never been on a new set or a tv set or anything like it's like going into the lighting department of home depot right there's just lights everywhere so that's that's why the enterprise d bridge was actually uh so interesting that they had a they had a ceiling you know like you saw the ceiling on a regular basis you know uh in the little uh 
little uh, porthole, I guess you would call it, <laughs> up top with the stars. You know, that's a nice little little touch, but we see that all the time. Uh, but the original series, if you see behind the scenes of that, it's literally just pie wedges that form a circle, and there's there's no ceiling <laughs> on that on there. Uh, but anyway, uh, some some fun stuff to lead off this show. But you know, let, let's get into it here, especially you know in the early episodes of the original series, they hadn't established things like Starfleet or the United Federation of Planets or certain characters' names even. I mean, it, and it's not even, like, the the continuity errors in these episodes, they're not the ones committing the continuity. It's, it's the episodes that follow them that are, that are truly creating the violation, right? So what, do you, what are some of you guys' favorites? No, that's a good point. Actually, I mean, that's, that's a good jumping-off point for... My favorite is, you know, the James R. Kirk thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that we we had in in first very first in the pilot episode and based on what you were saying this is where i think it's hilarious for me it's not so much that um that the tombstone has it wrong and it should say james t kirk because it's the first it's the first episode so if i'm going to go by that rule that establishes continuity and so for me every episode of tos that follows and every movie and every show subsequently where where they reference kirk as james tiberius kirk made a continuity mistake and that is unacceptable we need to start back at after the pilot and change everything <laughs> to be james r kirk oh well, that, that's my favorite episode where no one has gone before so uh, i of course that's one of the first ones i think of my i i had i've gone through several twitter handles over the years i'm just trying to find the perfect one right uh, and this is you know this is before i was associated with trek fm so i'm not like sucking up or anything my first twitter handle i kid you not was captain james r kirk okay there you go uh, it was c-a-p-t james r kirk and i was like yeah listen look at me i'm cool people aren't uh, i'm so hip people aren't gonna know what this is they're gonna say it's james d kirk i'm gonna say no it was james r kirk you know then my my picture in the background was was the tombstone with the r you know uh so that lasted about a year so, so those fans <laughs> you were mocking was really you <laughs> you got me <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see. So, do you, is this like a is this like a twelve step program you have to go through, and then and then once you get through it, you can look backwards and, and tease everyone else? Is that how it works? Okay. Zach is the one who's actually been calculating the height of the hallways. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was me. <laughs> he set it. He set up the whole show, Nick. Now we know. That's right. Assume names on Facebook. Good, very good, job, good Zach. Um, so that was my, that was my first Twitter handle, and that lasted for about a year. I was like, no, no, this is too complicated. It was too many letters and all that. So then I changed my next Twitter handle was Guardian of Forever with the number four. You know, for the forever. I thought that was so like, oh man, it's like Fast and the Furious, right? You're mixing numbers and letters, and it's so hip and cool, <laughs> and the kids love it. And then when I really got into podcasting, when I started always holding the Smallville, and now that I'm part of Trek FM, I was like, I need something that's a lot more like just my name and so moron zach because it's for more on zach go to my twitter but the people say i'm moron zach and what hey whatever you want to call it is fine it I, works I, it's memorable. It, it works it may you remember it right so mm-hmm. all that all that to say i've had a long line of star trek twitter handles and captain james r kirk was on and that's one of my favorites now they uh they've tried to explain this away in um novels because i mean what are star trek novels but you know official fan fiction Right. Right. And uh, Peter David had a pretty cool uh, way around it in Q Squared, uh, which they actually just covered on Literary Treks. I recommend you guys go check that out, their coverage of uh, Q Squared. One one of the most famous, I guess, Star Trek novels, I would say. Uh, Because back in the 90s, Peter David was coming out with these just epic novels like Anzati and Vendetta and Q Squared. But in Q Squared, he places Where No Man Has Gone Before in an alternate universe. 
like a timeline A. He has timeline like A, B, and C in that book, and timeline A or is it B? I'm not sure. But one of those two is the where no man has gone before universe, and that is why Kirk's name is different than it. So that was his explanation. And then there was a book trilogy, uh, and I forget. I well, I don't. Is it was it Kenneth R? I can't pronounce his last name. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, Star Trek author like Kenneth R. D sounds Italian, like the third. I know you guys are screaming at the screaming at the speakers right now. It was called my, my Brother's Keeper trilogy. It was about Gary Mitchell and James Kirk, and his middle name was Racquetball. Right, that was like it's like an in joke between them, right? Uh, and that's where the R came from. So that, that, that it's interesting to see how the novels will try and you know fill in these continuity. Retcons. Right, yeah, the retcons is what they are. But uh, so, so bottom line, if you if you have no association with Star Trek at all, just clean slate. What sounds better to you, James R. Kirk or James T. Kirk? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If you had no con, how, how do you say? Let's just erase fifty years of whatever. I'm I'm just saying, like, if you, of course, you're going to gravitate towards James T. Kirk, sir. So you, because you're so used to it, James T. Kirk. Well, uh, yeah. I don't know. My middle initial is R, so it'd be cool. But I, that's I don't know. <laughs> in the uh, in the Kelvin timeline movies, they should have messed with fans even more, and they should have actually called them James S. Kirk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that would have been great. Pitchforks and torches heading down to Paramount. It would have been interesting. But going back to that same timeline, right? So you have the James R. Kirk. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the first time you ever heard the term Federation had to do with the first Federation, right? Mm. With, um, I think you're correct, yeah. The Corbinite, Corbinite Maneuver. The whole thing about the United Federation of Planets, that didn't pop up for quite a while. It was um, it was, it was like earth agency or or so well it was the united earth space probe agency united uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is quite a mouthful and uh also that was in tomorrow is yesterday when kirk is talking to captain christopher like oh we're part of the united earth space probe agency like to me that was re- uh, representing starfleet uh, not necessarily the united federation of planets that's what i took it because it was you know earth was in the name and then similar to uh and miri when they when they're about to leave the planet and they're like oh yeah the guys from space central are going to take care of these kids <laughs> you know <laughs> space central like what? that sounds like lost in space or any generic sci-fi show right uh but i i feel like those were were stand-ins for what eventually became starfleet ken that was my take on it yeah anyway. that that's that's mine too but i think you know, it's all been associated with the United Federation of Planets. I'm just saying it, it, it evolved. Like all things, it evolved. And that's that's fine. But if you if you go backwards to, you know, where Enterprise was and where it ended, that's where the Federation came into play, right, at the very end of that, that series. So 100 years before or so, it was already established. So these other names really didn't make a lot of sense. That's all I was getting at. I think there's quite a few times early on in TOS, definitely in season one, where they refer to the Starfleet, a captain of the Starfleet, and not, mm. not Starfleet as an organization, but more uh, as a two-word composite of the Starfleet. Like an Air Force, not the Air Force or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, and then somewhere between the original series and TNG and somewhere in between, when you went to Starfleet Academy, you were a midshipman just like you were going to the Naval Academy. But then they all became cadets. And I don't know when that changed either, but that was also something that's it's very subtle. But uh, even even what you call the students at Starfleet changed. So it lost continuity there as well. Very small thing. 
if we're talking about evolution between you know the TV show and the movies, uh, and this is something that's a hot topic now with Discovery, the ship logos, patches, mission, mission patches. I'm, I'm not sure what we should call them. I don't know what the terminology, the proper terminology. Someone out there would know. Uh, the hallway guy would know. But in the original series, each ship had its own logo, right? The Constellation had a logo. The Exeter had a logo. The Enterprise had the Delta Shield. Uh, and then as as Fanon, uh, it became Fanon after the motion picture, and I call it, you know, Fanon, like fan endorsed canon or, you know, fan theories that become canon, is because the Enterprise was one of or the only uh, Constitution-class ship to get through its five-year mission, which is not hard to believe considering how many Constitution-class ships we see meet their bitter end over the course of TOS. Uh, Starfleet decided to honor them in that way by immortalizing them as the new logo, as the as the continu- continuity. <laughs> but uh, to give continuity across the board to, their, to Starfleet, and that would be the logo. And that's why in the motion picture you see, you know, that logo everywhere, not just on Enterprise stuff. And then, of course... Uh, in, in Star Trek Two, the Reliant guys are wearing the same uniforms. Next Generation, they have the Delta Shield. So that is something that evolved from the Enterprise surviving its five-year mission. And this, and so all that to say, uh, and this is not exactly what we're talking about here, but in the Kelvin timeline, uh, the Kelvin they have the Delta Shield, and then of course in Discovery, all the over the the, the Shinzu. Actually, because we haven't seen the Discovery, have we, <laughs> in that trailer? Uh, so, so the crew of the Shinzu all has the Delta Shield as well. So that's a little bit of wrench in continuity. But what do you do, right? I mean, I feel like the iconography, the iconography. Why did I say it that way? The iconography uh, wins over in the end. You know, for people like if, if you're if you're putting the new Star Trek series, you want to put that Delta Shield out there. That's what people associate with Star Trek. If you put some weird, I don't know, anything, some weird geometric shape instead, they're not going to make that connection, right? Now, do you know Zach the the uh, the? Because I know I know the story of the Delta Shield and how it was retconned to say that because the Enterprise was the only Constitution class that actually who, which had, had survived, um, they made that the the emblem of Starfleet. But is that something that the that Paramount, anybody on the production worked worked into the story by the time they started to do the TOS movies, or is it after the fact because fans were pointing it out that they came up with this explanation to sort of you know, retroactively retcon it. Off the top of my head, I do not know. Uh, I, I feel like the latter. Would probably... I, th- I think so too. Yeah, I, I, th- I feel I feel so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's canon. I I I, I always have a I always struggle saying the word canon when it comes to, to TV shows or whatever. It just seems like such a sophisticated word. You know, is it canon? Is it not canon? It's like. I just keep thinking like theological studies getting into Star Trek. I'm like, what, whoa, what are we doing here? <laughs> Make sure everything is crossed out. But you know, you, you raise a really good point, Ken, because I, I, you know, I had this this conversation with uh, another fan actually um, a while back. Uh, it was, I mean, a, a really good natured conversation where we were talking about that. You know, ultimately, I, I said, well, ultimately, there's no such thing as canon. You know, there's no real canon for something that's a fictional universe, Star Trek or any other. Right. You know, you know, because. Because it's not it's not a factual thing, so there's no way to establish any kind of dogmatic thing which you can say, well, that is the canon, as opposed to things that are not. And then and then even you know even the the, the concept you have to kind of agree as a majority on on what is going to be the closest thing to a dogmatic canon. But even that, because it's ultimately still subjective, can vary. Because some some fans are going to say, well, if Gene Roddenberry said it, then and you know. He's the maker. He's the great bird. So that's canon. But there's a lot of things about TOS, about the movies later that Gene Roddenberry disavowed 
And so then it would make, it would make these things non-canon if you go by that standard. No, so yeah. it's very, very subjective. That's, that's, that's an excellent point. I think, you know, it, and as soon as you said that latter part about it, if it didn't, came from, it didn't come from Roddenberry, but it was on film, look what launched from Star Trek Three, which had nothing, which Roddenberry was completely pushed out of, completely pushed out of, but then became part of the legacy going forward. So many things. So I hear exactly what you're saying. I agree with that. But it did teach me the word um, canonical. Is that the word? Uh, no, I, I keep pronouncing, mispronouncing it. I think it was that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's right. I think it's right. Canonical. Yeah. So, somebody wrote that on a Facebook thing <laughs> two years ago, and I was trying to say it. Uh, I was on one of the first standard orbits I was ever on, and uh, and then I tried to work it in like the next five or six six episodes because I loved the term because I, I didn't even know it was a real word. But it, it you know, and to think you learn of something like that associated with a with a with a, a franchise like this is pretty fascinating. So we've had some pretty good tangents. How about some other fun things out there, folks? Well, the cloaking device, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one I argue with you about, though. Well, it seems to me, I mean, we have rationalized it as fans, but when they encounter the the cloaking device in the Enterprise incident... They act like it's it's this new it's this new technology. We, we oh wow this is this could change the balance of power. We got we got to get it. And the Enterprise goes on the secret mission to steal the cloaking device. Yet everybody forgets they seem to forget that they already encountered a cloaking device two years earlier in the balance of terror. So to me that's I mean you you can make it work, but that's what we're talking about here. All the all these little things that make this continuity work. And it goes even further in the the whole transmission of cloaking technology from the Romulans to the Klingons. What shows how wobbly it is is the fact that when they remastered TOS, they went and changed the ships, the Romulan ships, Klingon ships. Remember how they, mm -hmm. how they, they changed those effects? And even when they were doing the movies, we come back to Star Trek Three, of course, always. Always. Um, they, they, they initially, the, the reason why the Bird of Prey ended up being called the Bird of Prey was because it was supposed to be a Romulan ship. And Leonard Nimoy just decided that he thought that it would be it would be better for the villains to be Klingons and they brought to his attention the fact that 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 wasn't supposed to be a Romulan ship and he didn't care and and nor should he have because ultimately it didn't matter and he can come up he came up with his own retconning uh, which ended up not sticking but in his mind he said well then we'll just say that 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 we'll pretend that they are Klingons who stole a Romulan bird of prey which I think actually was a really awesome idea mm -hmm. uh, because it really it, it would have furthered the concept of Krug and his bunch as as renegades. But then then it just became the Klingon Bird of Prey, and now it's established that like the it's al almost more than the than the D seven. It's the the Klingon starship by excellence is the Bird of Prey. Um, so uh, definitely think that the the cloaking device from what you were saying, Zach, um, and then the transition into how did the Klingons all of a sudden have the cloaking technology? Um, is is a uh, another one of those wobblies? I guess it's a little wobbly. The the movie definitely, but going back to the Enterprise incident, I guess in my head, the Federation knew of the cloaking device. They encountered it. They probably figured the Enterprise was able to defeat it. It wasn't as much of a threat. But two years later, the Klingons are now involved. Ship technology might be getting better. And maybe they're recognizing that it, it was more of a threat than they realized. Or they took two years to try to come up with one. They couldn't do it themselves and realized they needed to get their hands on one. So I, I always kind of put it that way. 
but because none of it is conically accurate or ever written, or it's a TV show, maybe that's it. Um, there, there is no direct line between the two. But that's how, as a fan uh, who, who watched that episode, that's how I, I reconciled it. And I thought fairly easily that way. Yeah, which, which I think is, you know, again, I, to me, that is what, remember how early on I, I was saying, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an attribute of Star Trek that it has this kind of funky relationship with continuity. And mm-hmm. part of the fun about it is, well, the fact that it's a great conversation piece, you know, among fans and friends. But it's also, um, it's a way to actually come up with stories because we love Star Trek and we, we love to make it make sense. Not even from an OCD kind of way, but because it, it stimulates our imagination. So every time, at least for me, every time there's something like that, which, which you think of, mm-hmm. um, it makes me go, I wonder what kind of story I could come up with. I wonder how I could make it make sense. I wonder how I could make it make fit. You know, like I was saying for, for Discovery, for example, just based on the trailer, I'm thinking, oh, well, what actually, what if it's, if it's a, 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 another universe we started? Maybe it's the Kelvin universe, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's, an, it's, a, maybe it's, it's yet another timeline and something happens and then we're going to jump into the prime timeline. And, you know, it just makes me like think of ways to connect the dots. And I think that this is kind of what's cool. And, and ultimately, that's also why I think um, in a good natured way, again, a lot of times the writers and producers, people involved with the shows and the movies end up taking some of those ideas and say, hey, you know what? That's awesome. We love the fact that the fan community came up with that. We'll work that in. They'll either put it in a script or they'll just, you know, it'll be in, in the encyclopedia. But um, I think that that's what makes it awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, even the even something as basic as the time period of which Star Trek takes place in, because this was never truly established on screen anyway until Star Trek II, where it starts out in the 23rd century. Uh, before that, there was anything from 200 to even 800 years in the future, because in the Squire Gothos, they're talking about Trelane and why he's so into, you know, uh, old French stuff <laughs> and wars and whatnot. And uh, his telescope, something about his telescope being a certain distance from Earth and him getting information too late. And since he was just a child, he didn't realize that his information was 800 years out of date, if you do the math. So clearly, Star Trek would not be, gosh, what would that be? In uh, 300, it'd be in the 20... Uh, 27, 20, 2700s. Wow. Yeah, something up there, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but even even episodes like uh, well, Space Seed, right? In Space Seed, and this connects to the Wrath of the Khan. They they keep going back and forth. If it's it's two hundred years in the future, is it three hundred years in the future? Because Khan wakes up and he's like, how long? And Kirk's like, oh, two hundred years by our estimation. And I don't did Khan never like check with anybody else to see what year it really was? Because <laughs> you fast forward to Wrath of the Khan, and he's like, on Earth, two hundred years ago, I was a prince. I'm like, no, no, it was three hundred years ago. But that's okay. I'm not gonna correct you. You're monologuing. You're doing a good job. <laughs> so, uh, you know, little things like that, right? Yeah, because V'ger was 300 years ago. Yeah, okay, yeah, even in the motion picture, like, oh, it fell into mm-hmm. a, what they used to call a black hole 300 right. years ago. So. Yeah, 300 years ago, and that era was pretty close to Khan's era, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, one's 300, one's 200. So yeah, it was kind of a constant ping-pong match there. <laughs> well, and Zach, you were talking about Khan. I mean, Khan is another big one, you know, which, I mean, Wrath of Khan is my is my, my, my favorite Star Trek movie. I mean, Search for Spock technically is, but the, I really consider <laughs> 2, 3, and 4, 1. Oh, don't suck up to Zach, come on. But, uh, but, you know, like, I mean, Khan is so awesome, but there's these things which, even as a kid, I was fascinated by this, the, the, the belt buckle he has, the Starfleet belt buckle. Mm. And I, ne- I was like, well, but wait, because he got marooned when they had the old uniforms. 
but he's wearing these, this thing, which I clearly recognize is what the guys wear on their belt, on the, on the maroon uniforms. How did he get that? Um, and then I always had this thing, which always, it didn't bug me, it didn't irritate me. But I remember, again, even as a kid, when he, he delivers his awesome line about the Klingon proverb. And, and I, remember the, I remember thinking, well, how would he know what a Klingon proverb is? Because he's never, he's never seen any Klingons. He, he, went, he was put to sleep in the, in the 90s or right after the eugenics war. And he was woken up by Kirk. And then, and then he, he was marooned on the planet. And that's it. And so I remember actually going to the point I was making earlier, coming up with all these stories. I was like, well, could there be, could, could it be as simple as there were books about Klingon culture that he read? Or um, I remember making up the elaborate applause. I was like, what if there was a separate story about these Klingons that actually found the planet and he was trying to steal their ship and that didn't work out. Wouldn't that be an awesome story? That's a great story. Somebody get on that. Listeners, somebody write some fan fiction. That's good stuff. I want to hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought the same thing you had, Nick, about him just reading about Klingon history in the Enterprise data banks because, you know, it's it's Starfleet standard procedure. If, if you find a mysterious yeah. person, alien, whoever, hey, come on in, use the computer, learn all about us. Yeah. Visit the bridge, engineering. <laughs> they give you a grand tour. Let's go see the battle bridge. You know, like, come on. Uh, so our access codes <laughs> it's, it's real simple zero 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 destruct zero <laughs> even in the next generation era they don't change that people are like just call the captain right you know that they unfreeze the guys from the 20th century they're like oh who is it's just the captain i like some tea in my cabin please and it's like come on guys <laughs> but, but picard's picard's excuse um to uh well it was often house is his name right the main guy he's like well why don't you have like locks or security on these things he's like well we we like to believe that we have the self-control not to interrupt others or something you know <laughs> it's the whole evolved humanity thing that early next generation loves spewing and that that was their excuse to to not have to worry about things like security passcodes and whatnot i mean we have if you have a smartphone now you probably have a password on it <laughs> something like that could have saved star starfleet a whole lot of trouble in the future people randomly showing up on the bridge all the yeah, time. Yeah. No, no, no problem with that. <laughs> no access control. It's not like they had retina scans. Oh, wait. Oh, man. Well, the animated series is actually its own kind of sub problem to this because for when it was when it first came out, it was Star Trek in animated form. Like the show was not called Star Trek, the animated series. It's called Star Trek. Like if you just watch the animated series, it's Star Trek. And, you know, for a long time, it was canon because there was no concept of what's canon and what's not because there was only the original series so once you start expanding past that that's when things start getting complicated and the general rule and that's what i like about star trek and its expanded universe as opposed to star wars and its expanded universe right uh no, no offense to everybody i'll in there <laughs> i'm just saying that it gets very confusing for star wars because everything you know up until um well gosh up until now and everything became star wars legends right uh, everything was assumed to be continuity because there was because lucas said he was smart to have a rule about okay no one can write about things in this time period or write about things in this time period because that's what i'm doing movies but everything else it's free reign for you guys so it all nothing really contradicted it to any you know any more so than the movies would contradict themselves uh so it was all you know candid right but then when disney bought star wars they're like oh, okay you know what guys all the stuff you've been reading for the last 25 years didn't happen star wars of legends we're starting over and i completely understand why because they don't want to be shackled by the continuity of you know 30 years of books when they're trying to tell a new trilogy i totally understand um 
but that wouldn't have been a problem if it had just been like quote unquote not official not canon uh like star trek is because star trek's rule is if it's not on screen it's not canon and i think that's a very simple delineation between what's quote unquote i know ken's loving how we're saying canon so much but <laughs> that's like that's a clear delineation okay. between what's canon it's the term and what's yeah. not canon right uh, but the, the the animated series is this very interesting thing that kind of has a foot in both worlds because you know it's a cartoon but it's on screen and it has the voice cast of the original series you know uh, you know Shatner Nimoy everybody but Koenig who wrote an episode so he was still in there somewhere uh, but it's crazy it's insane like so so much crazy stuff happens in, in particular <laughs> the 50 foot clone Spock is out there right that happened uh, but also in particular I'm thinking of the magics of Megas too they go to the center of the galaxy. And they meet Lucifer, right? Yep, <laughs> I mean, this do. is this is pretty heavy stuff. So that being okay, that's insane as it is. But then you go to Star Trek Five, and they're like, no, no ship has ever gone to the center of the galaxy. No probe has ever returned. You know, so <laughs> that con- that that contradicts itself as it is. Although other things, they they built off the animated series, like Spock's backstory with Sarek and. Like yesteryear, which is like, the, if there's one episode that's canon, right? If everybody says, well, it's yesteryear and everything else is whatever. I think there's a lot of merits to be found in the animated series. But um, it's just an interesting wrinkle there because they do all this crazy stuff they never talk about again. They never mention the 50-foot clone Spock. They never mention going to the center of the galaxy. Uh, not that they need to be so- talk- sitting around talking about, hey, remember, remember when they get cloned and you're 50 feet tall? Now that was crazy, Spock. Remember that? That, I mean, that's not what they're going to do. But what, what you guys take on the animated series? How does that fit in there for you guys? Well, for me, it's um, I only really started to watch it again when Saturday Morning Trek came on. And I would say up until that point, I've really kind of discounted it as far as scorekeeping. And, and you know, I always kind of went from the end of season three, don't really know what happened those two years, but everything picked up for me at the at the motion picture. It just did. I did watch it, I think, as a kid. I was real little, so I don't re- I didn't remember a lot. Rewatching them now kind of changes your view a little bit, but for 99% of my life, I discounted the TAS. And, and I don't mean to say like that in a, in a cavalier way, because there were some pretty decent episodes, and there were just like the, the original series, and there were others that, that weren't so good, but no, I, I, never, I never counted it. Yeah, I I um I count it as canon, but because and it's not because I'm a I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, I like the animated series. Um, I'm not I'm not a, a a big fan of it, but like you were saying, Zach, it's for me. It's it's uh it's called Star Trek. It was made mm-hmm. by Dean Roddenberry, DC Fontana, by all the people involved. You know, the same writers would work on TOS. It had the same cast. Um, and so after that, you know because i i may not like a certain episode or i may not like what happens or think it's goofy or silly well there's plenty of really silly stuff that's done in every star trek series uh-huh. um, really silly stuff and and so i you know uh, just because just because janeway and tom paris become turn into lizard and make babies <laughs> i'm not going to say well that episode of voyager doesn't count it's not canon because it's you know it's silly it, it, it is. It's just not not one that holds up very well, mm-hmm. um, it, you know. And and so for me, I, I just consider it canon. But I and this actually is funny that that conversation I, I referenced uh, earlier that I had with with a fan um, a while back was exactly about that about the animated series. And and he didn't consider it canon. <clears throat> um, and in his mind, his his judgment was well, for me, you know, Gene Roddenberry, the maker himself, said it wasn't canon. And so if Gene Roddenberry says it's not canon, then it's not. 
And I said, and, and, I, and my, my, my point was, well, that, that's one way to look at it and it's valid. Um, but that's, again, that's a subjective, subjective point of view, you know, for you and, and for, for, for Gene Roddenberry himself, who, who came back on it and decided not to for reasons X, Y, Z, which, which, which were just personal and, and, and reasons that had nothing to do with, it's not like he was saying, well, there, there's the, the equation that shows that it's not. Um, and so I think that it's, uh, um, I mean, Gene Roddenberry, and this is the same thing I told um, my friend, I was like, Gene Roddenberry hated the undiscovered country, hated it. And he, he said that, you know, that, that it, it violated like everything that he, that about, about Star Trek, you know, that it was racist towards the Klingons and blah, blah, blah. And so, well, would that be, should we then, if we're going to go by that, should we consider that the undiscovered country is not canon because Gene Roddenberry didn't like it? Mm. No, I, I would say, I would say no. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I think I, I would say TS is canon for me and, and um, silliness and all. And I think the fact that it has been to a certain extent worked into other, other parts of the Star, Star Trek franchise and it was on screen. I mean, for me, like you said, Zach, and actually it's funny having, I applied, it's a, for me, it's a Star Wars rule. Working, when I was working on the Clone Wars, George would always tell us if we asked him, if it was in any of the movies, it's canon. If it's not in any of the movies, it's not on screen, it's not canon. Hmm. So I've always applied that same rule, you know. From the man uh, himself. You heard it, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he always said, he, and he, you know, he would say, if, it, if we can make it fit, if we can make our story fit into what the fans have taken to be canon, great. If we have to break it, fine. It doesn't matter. Because yeah. the only that's that's established canon is what has been on screen yeah, you know it's it's funny you say that so just to be clear i'm not saying that the animated series isn't or shouldn't be I'm, you are the question the way i asked you know was being phrased was you know, i don't i don't refer back to that right it, my my memory doesn't go there because I, I i just didn't have that kind of familiarity so when people say oh that didn't happen a lot of times i don't think to go and research or look if something occurred during the animated series timeline, that's that's where no, I got you. It's hard enough to to reconcile everything else Star Trek, like <laughs> the animated series. Like I said, it's an interesting little pocket there. And you know, to your point, Nick, uh, I think Roddenberry. It's at some point he went on record saying that Star Trek Five was apocryphal as well. You know, mainly because of Cybok. Uh, I think that's in. I don't know. It's like in a Star Trek encyclopedia. It's, it's in some Star Trek reference book that I have, and I know it's a Gene Roddenberry considers this apocryphal. I'm like, oh well, Gene Roddenberry says so. Hey. Captain Kirk lost a brother once. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> They're perfect. That's a perfect example of what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to speak of both of your points, I think, I think that ultimately for me, and that's actually the, the point I was trying to make in that conversation with, the, with this fan was, uh, that ultimately, I, I like when we reference, you know, headcanon or what you were saying, Zach, fanon. You know, basically, there is no such thing as it goes back to what we were saying earlier. There's no such thing as an objective, an objective dogmatic truth, you know, for, for Canon, for something that is fictional. So ultimately I think that, which is part why we can all joke about it. And ultimately after that, every fan takes what they want, what works for them, what complements a story, a series, a show, a movie. Um, and that can be in their heart, in their mind. Canon as in like, well, you know, I love it. It makes me feel good about those characters, the story, so, so I believe it. Or if you don't, for one reason or another, you say, well, for me, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen or it doesn't connect to the part of the universe that I like. And, and that's it. 
You know, it's, it's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah, the um, fame, the famous Superman story, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow by Alan Moore. It, it, there's a quote at the beginning of it, and it says, "This is an imaginary story, aren't they all?" And I think if we take that attitude, <laughs> everyone can just their blood pressure can lower a little bit. We can have a little more fun and just enjoy it as it comes in, and not be like, "Well, it doesn't fit in with the episode." So I mean. Just it's entertainment, people. So just, but it, you know, it's like you said, we're coming from a fun place, right? It's it's fun to make all the pieces fit, even when they don't really fit. You know, making that square peg fit in that round hole, shaving off the edges. But uh, that, that that's, I mean, that's the inspiration of so much fan fiction, real fiction, fan films, right? I mean, you look at all the fan films. So many of them are like, well, let's connect these dots and explain this and explain that. And there's a place for that, and that's that's just how we express our fandom. It's a lot of fun, but let's just let's not get angry at each other about it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when when I was on the phone with, I remember one afternoon, um, somebody started a thread at work. Um, actually, I remember who it was. It was one of our directors. was a huge, huge comic book fan, huge Superman fan, and he started this thread about could Superman be cut by a lightsaber, <laughs> <laughs> and and it spurred this giant, giant conversation, which almost became a fight until until you know until Filoni weighed in and was like guys it's there's no superman and there are no lightsabers <laughs> so ultimately it's whatever you want it to be because neither is real well if they use a kryptonite crystal instead of a kyber crystal then yes yes that was my of course i was like you know well if it was a kryptonite crystal then it would work <laughs> very good yeah you know it's 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 interesting I've, I've been i've been listening carefully and i was I was thinking back to when I was a kid and really got into Star Trek. And, you know, there's a lot of people when you when you talk to them and you ask what, what brought you into the franchise, right? And it was that optimistic future. And it was all the things that we know about Star Trek. You know, why, you know, listen to Upping the Game, what we did uh, a couple of months ago. It, and it really tells you, you know, why people feel that way. And I do remember uh, when I was younger, I did fully immerse myself in that universe. And it wasn't so much that I didn't realize that it wasn't real. I just wanted it to be real. And I think that drive for having all those little bits, and I used to try to fill those gaps in my head all the time. And as time went on, and, and life continued, and of course your life expands and all that other stuff, I, you know, I, you pull yourself back a little bit, and and it's and it's easy on this show here because I, we're having a good time with this, and and I'm the same way. I I can I, I'm much more cavalier about things than I used to be, but I I don't. I guess as we were talking, I was thinking about that, and I'm, I'm sure there's still quite a few people out there, and and of course there's so many more things now to immerse yourself in because this thing has been replicated. Yeah, I I do understand to a to a certain degree how you can fall into that trap and you know and it allows that escape to be that much more of an escape for you when you can bridge all these things so i i do get it it's just um it's it's the anger and the lack of um assuming positive intent on the writers and the directors of the new series to give us something that's entertaining because one of the things I, I, I really enjoyed was listening to the commentary on Star Trek II. Nicholas Meyer's commentary, and I listened to you know, 10, 20 years or 15 years, whatever it was, was fascinating. His, his lens on it, his view on it, 
how he wanted to tell the story, why it didn't it didn't matter to him if if things matched up or you know why he threw an exit sign here or a no smoking sign there. I mean all that stuff that drove a lot of us crazy at the time or trying to figure out why the hell does Khan have that glove? <laughs> he he loved keeping that mystery, right? But for a lot of us, that, and I was back then, fully immersed, it was like, no, I need answers because this is a part of my world, in a sense, a part of my reality. So it, it is, I, I do get it. I just want to make sure I'm very clear. I, I do understand how people can get bent around the axle over these things. I, 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 I understand it. But I do understand, too, it's, you got to step back and... Uh, and, and like me, like I said, I always have a tough time going from the different universes and different stories, DC, Marvel, uh, Star Trek now, because I was like, no, it has to all be one universe. Well, that's the universe I want, because none of it's real. That's the way I want it. <laughs> but see, Ken, we're, we're on Earth Prime. That's where we are. And all, and all these other universes okay, are you. different Earths. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it Earth Prime to them? No, it's Earth Prime to us. It's Earth One to them. So... There's a difference. So, all right, I'm, uh, I'm like, gone. Like I said, I am the hallway guy. So, um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Star Trek too. You know, we forgot one of the biggest Star Trek continuity gas of all time, Con knowing Chekhov. What'd you guys think about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that that was that was true. It was caught right away by everybody, right? Every fan, and um, Walter Koenig had a blast with that. He had a blast with it. He I heard it. his yeah. story on stage. I was uh, I was at. Uh, I, th- I think he's probably told that story many times, but I was at the uh, the um, Mission, uh, Missions New York convention last fall, mm-hmm. and he story of of, uh, of the his whole bathroom thing. Twenty third century Montezuma's revenge, I believe he said. Yeah. Right. And he's been saying it since nineteen eighty two. That's the first time I heard it live in Boston. In 1982. <laughs> yep. So his story has changed very little after all these years. And, and I believe that that he knew, like when they're making the movie, but he's like, "Well, I'm not going to tell anybody because they're going to they're take the scene away from me. Give it to George or somebody. So I'm going to keep it for myself, you know. So I mean, and you got to have Chekhov. You got to have him be the guy that being down there tortured, you know, like what? I mean, who screams like Walter Canning and Chekhov, right? Yeah, yeah, and that—that's that, one oh, of the that's no. one that, that all, always. I mean, I, I and again, it's funny how I think it's on a personal level. There are things that you latch on. Like I always, I was always fixating on on the Klingon proverb, but the whole Chekhov thing, I never had a problem with. Every time I would come up in conversation with fans, I would say, "Well, I mean, Chekhov was probably just somewhere else on the ship for, yeah, for the first year. Just didn't know. That's all." Mm-hmm. Um, but but you you made a very very good point, Ken. I think you know. I mean, Star Trek is, and that's I've always said. For years and years and years, Star Wars is the world that I wish I could play in. Star Trek is the world that I wish I could live in. And, and you know, because it is a world that is so fully formed um, materially, visually, concretely, and I think emotionally, it means so much. I mean, it's it, it really, as somebody who has been a lifelong Star Trek fan, and Star Trek has been in my, in my life for really, really cornerstone moments, good and, and bad, um, I can completely understand, I, you know, and it, it moves me when I hear stories from fans over and over about how Star Trek changed their life, um, you know, how it helped them not commit suicide, how it inspired them to have, do a change in career, anything, get over abuse. Um, and so when you see what it represents, it's 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 a very, very good point. It, it's it's obviously, it's going to be something that matters. And when, and when, when, some, when you take ownership, um, and, and I saw that with Star Wars fans too. There's an understandable uh, desire. It's something that's been part of your life that is literally a part of you for so long that you you have 
whether you're conscious of it or not, a sense of ownership. And, and so you, you want to preserve that. You want to protect it. Um, like you said, I think that the important thing is, is to be able to at times step back and in any way you can either by making light of it or, or reminding yourself, you know, that, that it's, it's not that it's not that important, but, but, um, the, the things that make it that meaningful are not whether, oh, this sign was screen left last week and now it's screen right. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, the reason why you were able to, that Star Trek inspired you to do this or to accomplish that or to get over the loss of, of a parent or whatever. It's not those things that, that made that work. And, and this is where I think um, where if you want to have faith in a creative a writer or producer or director, um, it's hold them up and they may fail, but hold them up to that. If, if, if you're going to hold them up to do something, to do right, to be faithful to Star Trek, I think that's what you have to look for. You have to look for them to understand that about what matters about Star Trek and to be able to give you that. And the rest is, is important too, but it's still candy wrapper. Um, and, and it's really, are we, are we getting the stories that, that make Star Trek be what Star Trek is? Yeah, well said. I have nothing of substance to follow it up with. It's too good, Dick. <laughs> Ape face strikes again. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I hear Ape face, I'm going, this poor guy, why would he call himself that? And uh, I, I did not call myself that. Zach baptized me Ape face. Ape face, yes, he did. <laughs> you he embra- did. You've embraced it, sir. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. Was that, that was that Thanksgiving show, right? Is that where that originated? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was. was. Yeah, yeah, we were doing, like, yeah, we were doing, reaching out to all the, the people that were talking. Yeah, the Apes logo. Yeah, the Planet yeah, we were trying. To, I think we were trying to pronounce your name, and then he went, "That's Ape Face, right?" He's got the Ape Face <laughs> going. On. I didn't choose his avatar. Right? I'm just saying. <laughs> it oh, does boy. freak me out, though. That that avatar does freak me out every time. It's like, whoa! So I just Planet of the Apes when I was a kid scared the heck out of me. Me too. Believe it or not, you, you wouldn't believe it from looking at my avatar, but me too. That's- <laughs> Oh, it just it just has. I mean, to me, it's just oh, I, I look at that and it just gives me a oh yeah yeah. <laughs> That's such a great shot. Well, I think all of our problems could be solved if we all just you know every Star Trek fan once you become a card carrying Star Trek fan, you go out, mm-hmm. you buy the Star Trek Encyclopedia. They just released an updated version, so it's everything you need to know. Uh, you memorize it. And then you carry that around as gospel for the rest of your life in every conversation and in your cupboard. That will answer all of your questions. If you if it if it's not in there, it's not canon. Don't worry about it. So a hundred dollar fix, right? Ultimately, it's 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 live and let live, right? Like you know, yep. for me, for me, it's there. There are things like I said, you know, movies, episodes, series that I'm not a fan of. Some that I'm I'm even less of a fan of. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I love it's that's idic, right? If if uh. If I meet somebody who tells me, and I actually did meet um, a, a PA on, on one of my shows a couple of years ago, who basically said, and I was, I was starting to rent actually about, about In the Darkness, and he very genuinely said, well, you know, I was actually my first Star Trek movie, he's a young guy, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I loved it, and I loved it so much in fact, that that prompted me to want to go back and watch 09, and then it made me want to go watch TOS. Um, and, and that really opened my mind and my eyes to, to the fact that just because I didn't like this particular Star Trek episode, quote unquote, you know, this, this, this chapter of the Star Trek story, doesn't mean that somebody 
to whom it, it was a Star Trek story is less of a fan than I am. And it actually made me happy. I was like, this is awesome because that made a new Star Trek fan. And we can both like the same thing by liking different things about it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's great. That's really, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. And, if, and if Discovery does it right, they'll hit the older generation of fans, that mid-level generation, and the new ones. And I think that's, that's what they're going for. They're looking for that mix because, you know, we all want Star Trek to be successful on TV, and we all want to enjoy it. We miss it. It's coming back. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's, there's an awful lot of – Nick, you probably know this better than any of us. There's a lot of data mining that goes into making these shows trying to figure out what the right mix is and right, what the right balance is, where the appeal is, where the demographics are, in order to do this right. And it doesn't mean that they always get it right, just like a product. You know, you can do all that research and still miss. Uh, the odds are less because of those data analytics. So that's what I'm, I'm very hopeful for. I, I'm, just, I'm just rooting for a good show. If it has some misses in continuity or... Maybe it answers some questions that have been out there. It's such a big universe, um, especially that that timeline. You know, who who knows what was happening, one hundred million light years away on the other side of the galaxy? Oh, wait a minute! No, one hundred million light years would be no, but seventy takes you into. <laughs> here, here you go, continually breaking continuity yet again. And Ken. then, but it, but then warp speed. You can only go as far as warp ten. But I've seen them at warp thirteen, and then there's trans warp drive. I got to get off. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm a little dizzy. Uh, season season three, all our yesterdays, when Spock was uh, was basically millions of light years away from from his world, which actually is impossible because the galaxy is only a hundred thousand light years. So, and the Alpha Quadrant is even much less than that. So Vulcan would not be mil- millions of light years away from from where he was. But you got him. Yeah. You got him, Nick. <laughs> hey, it took uh, it took the Enterprise about four and a half minutes to get there from Earth. In Star Trek 09, and what about a day and a half to get back? <laughs> I, I do love you, <laughs> you, you guys talking about this. We'll go this rapid fire at the end, but uh, the use of quadrant has been so misused, especially in TOS. Like I think I think it's in Wrath of Khan, right? It's like Sulu says it's reliant. She's in this quadrant. Oh, really? That really narrows it down, Mister Sulu. Like <laughs> fourth of the galaxy, man. <laughs> What? She's in the Alpha Quadrant? That yeah, I was trying to think if they used that term in the motion picture, and I, I don't think they did. I think yeah, they the just said the only AU ship in interception Viger? range. Talk about, yeah. talk about terminology in the 83 AUs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> tremendous. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's cut that down the two in the director's edition, guys. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so oh, that man. was a lot of AUs, yeah. <laughs> So this is fun though. It's fun, and I feel like I've been I've been kind of going back and forth on on the pendulum here. So I'll, I'll just close with this. My final thoughts. I'm probably a little more critical of the discovery and all the changes they've been making than most of everybody from from the pulse of, of fandom is what I've been seeing. Um, my deal was with the Kelvin timeline, Star Trek 09. It was genius way to do it. There's a time travel thing that interrupts the entire timeline, and Star Trek fans we understand that we watched it for years. And I'm like, you know what? You give us that in-universe excuse. Do whatever you want now. Well done. I applaud you, right? But this discovery doesn't have that, so that that is where more of the conflict comes. You know, you know, at least for me, and, us, and I'm sure all all the people that are that are um not not the biggest fans of, of everything they've seen so far. 
uh, I just feel like, you know, maybe we'll, Nick, you're right, maybe we'll get that excuse at some point, that expl- excuse, that explanation, right? Uh, and I understand the need to update everything. I just feel like, you know what, there's a middle ground to be found. I hope they can find it. But all that being said, if the, if the stories are good, if the characters are good and it's entertaining, then what do we have to complain about, right? Yeah, that's a good uh, good way to. I mean, that's a that's a great final thought. I mean, and for me, it's the same thing. And, and I'm I'm gonna steal from 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 Biche again. I think. I mean, he's he's like the best. I I love his optimism. And I just, for me, Star Trek has always been. I've said that about an emotional connection, and um, a meaning. And I I I'm not without you know. The, I'm sure there there'll be things that I latch onto. Um, I'm sure that it, there there might be stuff that I don't respond to or that I'm that kind of continuity wise that would make me tick. But I I think I will give it a lot of leeway if I feel like for me it's about the spirit of Star Trek, and that's what and that's where the greatest continuity of Star Trek lies, and that is why I think it's easy for me to have fun with the the breaks and continuity we talked about for TOS or other series movies, because really the spirit of Star Trek. Um, that has always been present uh, in my mind um, throughout the years for the past 50 years. Yes, it's a business. And from the beginning, Gene Roddenberry, the, you know, the guy who invented it, he was also trying to make a living and, and it was his paycheck. He wasn't just trying to elevate mankind. Um, so there are a lot of practical aspects that go into making it. Um, but I, I really feel like there has been an, a genuine effort from everyone involved in all the eras of Star Trek to be true to the most important thing that should be, should be held to, to a certain standard. And that's the meaning of Star Trek. And, and as long as, as I see that in Discovery... I'll be a happy Trekkie nerd. <laughs> and hopefully that'll happen. I, I, again, very well said. I, I just want to... If, if there's a way to pull this in, right, Discovery, uh, to this timeline, Zach, it's, it's this to me. And, and I was thinking about it, um, you know, when the trailer came out and then more people are like, wow, oh, why, why 10 years before? Well, if, if, if anyone's a student of history, what do we remember about World War II, right? We remember the campaign in Europe. We remember the campaign in the Pacific. Very few people remember the campaign in Burma, India. Huge campaign went on. We all heard of Eisenhower. We've heard of Patton. We've heard of de Gaulle. We've heard of Montgomery. We've heard of MacArthur. How many people heard of Stilwell, who led almost just as large an army uh, to, to, to recapture and push the Japanese out of that region? It's, it's virtually unknown, but it's a huge piece of history that had incredible impacts on that region. And I'm thinking, you know, this could be a piece of the Federation, the piece of an area that, um, if you want to make it part of canon, where, you know, who says we've been exposed to the vast amount of fictional history or history that exists within that timeline to be able to piece it together? It's huge. We don't even have our arms around of what's going on on a daily basis around this planet. <laughs> so if you take the whole size of the Federation, I think it, it could be very easy to, to plug and play this timeline there um, enjoy something we've never heard of, never seen, that wouldn't necessarily impact the, um, the, the, the history that we already realized through the original series onward up. So I'm optimistic they're going to pull this thing off. All right, guys. Well, talking about Star Trek continually breaking continuity, as well as pre-OS, copyright Nick Anastasio, Standard Orbit, 2017. 
that's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at some other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! So his his whittling skills are so advanced that he can whittle wood into leather. Into vegan leather, yes. He is now Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> he is the Rumpelstiltskin of the Marquis. Warp 5. You think they start to like like each other and then it's more like a father-daughter kind of relationship and then he basically becomes uh, 50 first dates and she falls in love with him. <laughs> That's <So>. great. <laughs> that is true. The 602 Club. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Lee, That that's inspired to have him in that role. It, it really is such a good bit of casting to have him there. Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. The key thing with Jutrelli is all of these elements are exactly the same thing as the events in real life. You know, the Metron Cascade is the bomb. Rhinax is Nagasaki or Hiroshima. You know, the poisoning is analogous to radiation poisoning and all these different things. And the the parallels are enormously overt with Jutrell straight away. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it clear for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility to new listeners. So if I can, I just want to talk real quick about Patreon. Patreon is the service that we use that helps fund the network. And it's real important for us to to ask our fans to help be part of the team and donate what they can to support us. As you know, all of our podcasts are commercial-free, without interruption, and with over 20 shows and the amount of bandwidth it requires, the equipment it requires to, to get these shows on the air, we do need your help. And for $15 a month, you can take part of the you can take part in the Trek FM roundtable. And for $25 a month, you can be an associate producer on the show of your choice. So please log on to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FN and donate whatever you can. And I tell you, we, we appreciate it more than we can express. So we'd like to thank our associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have Renee Roberts, Richard Marquez, Aaron Harvey, Nick Anastasio, hello Nick, Tim Robertson, Norman Lau, and Corey Elrod. Zach and I are very, very thrilled to have seven associate producers uh, helping to support this show and the network. Um, it's such a humbling experience, but we, we appreciate all of you. Nick, where can we find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs, you can find me on Facebook, uh, my name, uh, or uh, you can find me prowling around the Babel Conference uh, quite a lot. And yeah, those are two best places to find me uh, quickly and easily. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-C-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s. And we're over there on Twitter at Always Smallville with one S. What about you, Ken? 
Well, you can always find me in the Babel Conference. We we try to get in there. I know it's uh, it's it's trickier with with work schedules to get in to get in there as often. But I do try to catch up at least uh, once a day, if not twice, and and interact with everybody. And I really enjoy it. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you know, Ken Trip. It's very simple. I'd I'd love to uh, to to bring you aboard as a friend. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. That stands for Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Urban.